Hi, everyone. My name is Peyton Lynch, and welcome to the Great Design Sleeve Podcast. I'm a senior product manager working for the Walt Disney Company, and I currently work on the platform team, which supports the Disneyland, Disney World, and Hong Kong Disneyland apps. Really excited to be here today. I'm really excited to have you here, Peyton. <laughs> so, so uh, one thing that I was wondering um, is uh, what, what people may not know is that uh, we're from the same town. Uh, our paths are, are kind of like, kind of intermingled, but I never really ever had the chance to meet you. And I kind of feel kind of strange because there's a lot of uh, 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 things that I know about you. Um, but we've never met, which is kind of weird. <laughs> the internet works in mysterious ways, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, um, I, I guess from the, from the very, very beginning, um, uh, Peyton, uh, and I graduated from the same high school, um, all, all the way back there. Uh, Peyton graduated in 2012, and then I started high school in 2013 and graduated in 2017. Um, so I, in understanding you and, and meeting you and, and getting to know you a bit more, um, do you mind if we kind of start from the very beginning? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so Emily and I went to the same high school uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I am the oldest of five kids, and I always mention that because I think that says a lot about who I am, and I find birth <laughs> order really interesting as well. Um, and I definitely fit a lot of the stereotypes of, um, the oldest, um, in a family. Um, but yeah, a really, really big family. And we, there weren't really many places that we ever went all together. Uh, cause it's, there's just so many of us, right? And so, uh, we, that one place for us was when we vacationed at Walt Disney World. And when I, when I tell you I've been there so many times, I, I couldn't even count in my childhood. I was so blessed and privileged and fortunate to have that experience. Um, but I think as much as I love those experiences, what I loved the most were, were my interactions with the cast members and, um, you know, everything that I learned from them. And it, I was hooked. I, I knew I wanted to be a part of this in some way. Um, and, you know, my past, as past, do they went in a million different directions and when I was in high school at the time I I was very passionate about studying theater um and so uh spent the majority of my senior year auditioning for several different um programs to go on into theater into college and as a profession and so many people in that career path they they wanted to be on Broadway and it's I wasn't going to stick my nose up at Broadway if Broadway called, <laughs> but I wanted to work for Disney. Like, that was what I wanted to do. Um, I was like, I'm going to dance down Main Street someday. Um, and so I graduated from Parkland High School. I ended up going to Wagner College on Staten Island um, mm. in New York and was there to study theater. And I... I love theater. I will always love theater, but I think I learned in that first year there that it was not going to be my career. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was hard to come to terms with because I made a lot of promises to myself. And, you know, I felt like I was letting other people down because I said I was going and pursuing this. And I had started to feel that way after I, I, um, 
you know, you, you start getting into the program and you start thinking about what type of life you'll have if you're in that career. And I was doing internships uh, throughout my first year there as well. And I was actually doing marketing for uh, a company called Broadway Spotted that would go out and interview Broadway stars. And so I was connecting to the business in that way. And I, I said, hey, I kind of like this marketing thing, this blogging thing that I'm doing. Maybe there's something here for me as well. Um, and I'm so grateful for that experiential learning because I think I learned a lot about what I did want to do and maybe what I didn't want to do, more importantly. Um, that sort of pushed me to the next career path. And so um, it was very late uh, into well, I was about to go back to school in August for my second year that I just woke up one day and said, I, I, that's not it. I'm not going back for that. And I remember telling my parents like, Hey, you need to sit down, but I want to change majors. And also I'm trans, I'm going to transfer school. So uh, I ended up wow. transferring to the sales <laughs> university. Um, literally, I think it was like July. And then by August I had transferred um, mm. and was like, I think I'll give marketing a try. I don't know. It's a business degree. I think that'll work. Um, but I knew I wanted something, um, along those lines and it was the best decision I ever made because I had so many opportunities at the sale university, um, to really continue in internships and work with, um, a tight knit group of professors and folks there who really showed me that the possibilities are really endless when you have a, a business degree of, of that sort, um, and then once I did graduate, um, after doing a series of internships, I there was an internship I had at a company that's now called Smartic Smartaker in Bethlehem, mm. Pennsylvania. And I was converted from an intern to a full time employee there. And uh I absolutely loved it. Great company culture, um, very, very tech driven and and minded and um really up and coming company. Uh, with awesome people to work with. Uh, and I was there for about um, six months or so. And again, really loved it. Um, my husband and I, who also went to Parkland High School, we had just gotten married around that time at Walt Disney World <laughs> because we <laughs> both love it. <laughs> and he had worked there for years before we ever even met um, and then had moved back home. And I just, I had this itching feeling in me, like, I, wait a minute, when I rerouted, I forgot about that dream I had to work for this company, for to work for the Walt Disney Company, and so, <laughs> I, um, when, when you apply for a, a professional internship at Disney, you can only apply whether, if you're in school at the time, or within six months of graduating, so I was coming mm. up at that time, and I was coming up on it quickly. <laughs> And I just felt that that was the best opportunity for me to continue to pursue my career, but also uh, work for the company and get my foot in the door. So I started applying for a few internships. Um, you know, we, my husband and I were like, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that when the time comes, if, if you get <laughs> picked for one or what have you. And then I had an interview and then I had another interview and then I got the internship. Oh my we goodness. Yeah. <laughs> And we were faced with this decision of picking up our lives, me leaving my full-time salary job, which I loved very much, um, him leaving his teaching career in theater. Um, he was a theater director at the time in Lehigh Valley to pursue a six-month internship with no real 
promise of a of a career after that. And my husband having no job secured down here. So um, it was not an easy decision to make. But I think when looking back, um, we are grateful for the risks we've taken because we've both been able to build incredible careers with this company. And, um, you know, I, I'm so, so grateful. And I think that's something I'd love to pass on here, too, is like always take the risk, right? Because um, you just never know. You never know where you're going to land. And that six months that turned into a, a year-long internship, they extended me over at Floral & Gifts where I was a marketing intern. And mm-hmm. again, I learned so many things there. I worked with so many lines of businesses within Disney because, you know, Disney is massive. Um, <laughs> and so um, I, I was actually working on a project with folks from the digital team where I work now. Um, and so they're, they power all of our websites and apps that, um, power our, our parks and resorts and et cetera, et cetera. And they said, Hey, like, would we loved working with you when you were at Floral and Gifts? Would you ever think about a career over here? And frankly, I was like, I don't know what all you do, but I want to work for Disney. So like, I will, I will work hard and I will learn. And here's the tools that I learned in this last role that I think can apply to the space. And uh, they took a risk on me and uh, brought me into that team. So I started updating. I was a content producer for the um, the Disney Cruise Line website, updating all the content in the uh, content management systems and things like that. Um, so something so like like WordPress or something like that. Similar. Um, similar. But, okay. But yeah, you can imagine it's it's they've got all these different backend things and but yeah, I was inputting content right. Um, and then having it published onto the, the websites. And so, um, while I had done that before in like a WordPress for like blogging and things like that, this was definitely a bit more intricate and technical and on a much larger scale, working with so many partners and on very crucial, um, releases and things of that nature. Um, and then after a time of working there, I moved over to work on the My Disney Experience app where I was a, uh, moved over to the product team. And mm-hmm. we built, um, I worked on the digital key feature, which you can use to unlock your door at the Walt Disney World, World Resorts. And then after um, about two years there, I moved over to, um, back over to Disney Cruise Line. I keep saying I'm a Disney Cruise Line boomerang because I've been there <laughs> back a few times. Um, and I became a product manager for the Disney Cruise Line app. So over the past year or so, you can imagine... We've been very busy um, working on everything we could to get back to sailing. Um, and then after two years there, just very recently, I moved over to the, the platform team, which supports the Disneyland, Disney World, Hong Kong, Disneyland apps. Um, so very recent transition in the past month. Uh, and it, it's what's so cool is seeing the tools that I've picked up in each role, role and being able to apply them to each one as I go. So you know, in five years of working for Disney, I've been able to have such a breadth of different roles um, in a really unique company that that I love. And now I get to be that cast member that I wanted to be for so long. Um, and the funny thing is my husband is the one who does the dancing down Main Street like I thought I would do. <laughs> um, he's an entertainment. So uh, I, we, we are both living our dreams um, in ways that we never expected. Absolutely. I, I love that story so much because I love how you go from these different points in your life and they all, it, it's not that you're 
starting over completely because you have things that that build on each other. I I think I remember you saying on a a podcast at some point that that the skills that you had from performing and being able to um speak in front of a whole bunch of people that really helped when it came to communicating in marketing and I'm I'm curious about like what were the jumps like um I guess going from one industry to another and then where I am in user experience design product design I'm just curious uh what was it like having to learn so many skills all, all the time uh and and meeting new people and I'm guessing that some some people that you were working with they they went to college for that that's the industry they were in their entire life what was it like for you to um be new and then be so great at it <laughs> and then to move on to something else yeah it, that's a really great question and you're right most of the folks in the space that I'm in have computer technology degrees and so at the beginning I think I was very wary and I there's still days where I am um, very conscious of my background and how different it is. However, um, what I do try to remind myself is, of is that I am in this space for a reason. And if I were not in this space, there would be a lack of diversity missing in our team because I do bring a unique pers- I do think I bring a unique perspective to the team. And you're right. Those lessons I learned, um, as a performer have not gone away. I have, I can't even tell you how many times I have to put together a presentation and that skill has helped carry me through. Um, and I think that's where I, where I lack in maybe some of the technical background. I excel in that communication piece. And that is really what I have found, um, especially within the Walt Disney company. We are a very relationship built company as many companies are. And when you have those we call them soft skills. I don't know why they're called soft skills because they are so important <laughs> and it makes it sound like they're not. Um, they, those are the things that have carried me through building relationships, setting up one-on-one time with people, helping them to know I care. Like I genuinely care about them as a person and I genuinely care about the products we deliver. Um, and when you do that, when you are authentic and honest and caring about the people you work with, they want to work with you and they want to deliver the best products possible. And so I've always led with that. And I'm always very honest, especially with my tech team, because they can see right through it. They would know mm. right away if I don't have a technical background. And so I lay it out for them from the start. And I say, listen, I was a theater major, you know, and that tells them right away. <laughs> like every, okay. Yep. We see where she's coming from. Um, but then I followed it up with with saying, but I've been in this space for about five years now. I have learned a lot. I'm continuing to learn a lot and challenge myself in that way. And I will ask you questions so that I can continue to learn and make sure that I'm understanding your perspective. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to be heard in their role. Um, and I think it can get very easy, especially in a virtual environment, for us to just wonder, what is that person doing? Or how does that apply? Or why can't they just do it the way I asked, right? And when, <laughs> when you start speaking to them as individuals and getting on that individual level, you start to understand the psychology around why people do what they do. But also you understand a little bit more about how to walk in their shoes. And while I'll never be able to walk in a developer's shoes, 
And <laughs> I've told them, I don't want their jobs either. You know, like <laughs> I need them. I need them to do what they do. Um, but when you start to at least build that empathy and, and understanding, you can be a better advocate for them. I can be a better product representative, product owner when I can go back to our business and to our leaders and say, you know, here is why we're recommending this or here is why this is going to take X amount of time, resources, et cetera, um, rather than throwing a team under the bus. And so the, those elements are crucial. And those are the ones that I feel like are my strengths that I bring to the table. And, you know, Walt Disney himself always surrounded himself with the experts. You know, he mm-hmm. knew he was not the one who knew everything and he surrounded himself with good people. And so I try to do that as well. And I call on those people to say, hey, I'm not getting this. Can you help? And most of the time, people are very willing to help um, help you get through it. We don't do this alone. Products don't get developed in a style, or at least they shouldn't. So um, it's helpful to have a good team. That's that's really good to hear because um, I was really curious about you specifically and um, what it was like to manage a product team. Because um, a little bit about me is I uh, went to school for graphic design. Uh, I thought I was going to be um, a graphic designer. I thought I was going to be uh, making uh, logos for people, doing ad campaigns, working at a place like Pentagram. <laughs> and then I was in college and I was in my last year and I discovered user experience design because I had an independent study um, uh, and I wanted to learn another Adobe program and I just picked Adobe XD and took a class on it on Udemy. and. I found out that I absolutely love it. And it's exactly what I felt was missing the entire time I was in college. Um, and so I've been learning about development so that I can do development on my own. I've been learning about user experience design. And the thing that it taught me a lot, which made me think of you and your personality, is it taught me a lot about empathy. Um, because... I guess before when I would look at things, uh, everything was subjective on how I felt about it or maybe how my professor felt about it, who was grading me or maybe just how the client felt about it. Um, and then I was introduced to the world of usability testing and really understanding that you're not designing for your client, you're designing for your client's client or customers. And so I was, <laughs> Wondering, um, when you moved from marketing to, um, the product team, did you learn a lot about empathy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of this comes from that theater background too, of, um, there's something to be said about theater people (laughs) as well as just the arts in general, um, helping to create empaths, right? And um, so I think that is something inherent in me. And it's actually something I've had to learn about myself for saying, am I allowing these emotions to control me and these feelings about people and things to control me? Or am I observing them and acknowledging them and then, you know, doing what needs to be done based on that um, rather than having them own me? And I, and that was a big growth piece for me. Um and I, and I think to your point, like I came from a, a digital marketing agency where we had clients, right? 
And mm-hmm. it, it is, it was that same thing of like, you, yes, you're there to serve the, your client, but also their guests. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that was the biggest shift coming to Disney is that, um, we have some of that, right? I have business partners that I'm beholden to and other stakeholders, but at the end of the day, we are Disney. Um, and so that it has a little bit of that different perspective. Um, but there is something there of like helping to make the case too. Um, when you're an agency, that's more challenging to do because if you're beholden to a paycheck based on an account, right. And the account is mm-hmm. a client and they're not happy with your, what you're developing, you know, how are you going to continue that relationship? Um, and so it's, it's getting to the root. Often people want to solve the what and the, and the how of things and, and, we need to hear more of the why. And so mm-hmm. what I found in having more of those one-on-one discussions, getting to know the, the person themselves and going through those exercises is you do learn a bit more of the why. Um, and, and oftentimes people are responding to things or saying certain things because of something else. There's another driver there. And I think that's where that empathy piece really comes in and really helped me. And we don't always get it perfect, but in a world where we are completely digital right now, um, everybody is going through some level of strife through this global pandemic on varying levels. And, and we've had to find space for people to feel that. And that's a, what I've experienced. It was a very new thing for companies to allow space for that um, and have those authentic conversations. But, I think that's just something that's something so crucial to good leadership. Um, and when you have that, that culture is felt throughout. It permeates, right? And mm. then that spreads out into the rest of the world. And you're able to help in, affect change across other areas and across your clients and et cetera, et cetera. And it will be reflected in your work, too, because to your point, um, we're not solving. We're not creating products for us. We're creating them for guests, clients, what have you, um, who have very specific needs and wants. And um, we have to we have to do what we can to meet them. And the more empathetic we can be, the better we can write our product requirements and, and start to think through those scenarios of what a, a real guest would experience when they're using our products. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such a different way of looking at things. I I just recently uh read a, a book um called Don't Make Me Think. Uh I I'm sure you've probably heard of it or other people have probably heard of it. It was new to me and I read it and I thought it was so cool and it was all about usability testing and really understanding uh um put, putting like your ego aside <laughs> and 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 really understanding that the answers the, the why um uh, of the design decisions and the development decisions that you make, uh, have a lot, um, to do with testing and a, a lot to do that, that you can really have a lot to back up your decision making when you go out looking for answers and you're willing to be like vulnerable enough to say, Hey, person that I don't know, uh, that is within the target group. What do you think of this? And actually being willing to take what they say, uh, and, Maybe even totally restart if you realize that things aren't working. And it's just, uh, it, it was really, um, uh, eye-opening to me and it, it kind of changed the way that I interacted with other people. Um, 
almost to a point that I started getting annoying with a friend of mine when he was using an app and he was getting frustrated about it. I'm like, tell me exactly what the problem is. And he's like, can you stop? (laughs) 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 But, um, but yeah, so I, I I was, uh, again, just because your your position is so unique, and I I have you here to talk to you. Um, uh, since you you manage uh, multiple people in a a, a product space, um, I also saw that uh, you went and got your MBA uh, in Florida, which is uh, awesome, <laughs> and I think that it's really cool um, when uh, people in the product space go and do that. Um, and so I wanted to ask. Uh, when you got your MBA and learned more about management and stuff like that, uh, how did that affect h- how you do your job specifically in the industry that you're in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say that I'm so grateful that I got my MBA and also um, that if you're listening to this, it's important to find a company that pays for said MBA. Um, it was crucial to that experience. Um, and so I'm really glad that I had that opportunity. What I really enjoyed about getting my MBA, uh, in management was that it gave me the opportunity after having worked in the field I'm in for a few years, the opportunity to apply that real world knowledge to the classroom environment. Whereas I felt as in my MBA, or I'm sorry, my undergrad and before that, things are very uh, theoretical, mm, um, yeah. which is great and important for us to build on theory. But now I was able to take real concepts that I was learning in class, and we had actual discussion and dialogue in those MBA classes where I could say, yeah, actually, we had this scenario the other day at work about this you know, theory that we're learning about, and here's how it played out, here's how... I've been able to apply these things to my actual job. And so um, that's what I really liked about getting that. And it's also helped me to have conversations with leaders of, of saying like, hey, I got this degree um, to better myself. And, and for me, um, choosing it in management is because my hope and dream is to be uh, a leader with direct reports someday. And that's very important to me. Um, and saying, look, I, I took the time to better myself in this way. Um, how might we invest in me here in the company um, now that I have this to continue along that career path? And it, it just makes you a bit more valuable. Um, and and that said, I know within design um, and technical spaces, sometimes additional certificates are what makes the most sense as well. I've seen a lot of folks go out and continue to educate themselves that way or go through agile um you know, programming as well. I've, I've received the, the CSCO for product ownership and found that very valuable as well. So those are also great avenues. I think continuing to always be learning is a really great um, key for your success. Absolutely. That That's something that I'm really, really excited about when it comes to uh, starting a career in this industry <laughs> is because there's always something new to learn. It's It's I feel like it's very hard to get bored because there's always something new. There's always something to improve what you're doing. Um, there's always a new tool. There always is a new person to listen to, a new book to read. I, I feel really lucky. Uh, do, do you feel that way about uh, where you're at right now in terms of 
it's just so cool to be in tech. <laughs> I agree. This is such a growing industry. I don't know what isn't dependent on tech anymore. Um, and I think it's so cool to be able to work in the entertainment industry, but it's powered by tech, right? I mean, our theme parks and experiences wouldn't operate without tech anymore. It's so ingrained. And we have a seat at the table, which is so cool uh, to be a part of major decisions. And I think to your point of always learning and, you know, that there's always so much to learn with tech is that, yeah, it's it's so quickly evolving. It's so important to stay on top of things, um, but also that we have so much to learn from our users. And to your point earlier around, like, we're, I think we're often quick to make a judgment of what we think a product should do or look like or the what the UX should be like based on who we are without really consulting who our guests are, who the users are. And there's mm-hmm. always something to be learned from them. So the more that you can do proof of concepts, the more that you can get feedback from actual users of the whatever it is that you're putting together, the better your product is going to be from. And I think there is a bit of that um, humility there as well of putting aside our egos and of what we think and what, what our gut is telling us and look at actual data and, and hear from actual people who are using this and are hoping to have a need filled from it. So, um, you know, that I think is what's so cool as well as um, in in my role, I work on so many projects sometimes at the same time. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, we have a deliverable to bring along the finish line and we're constantly delivering new things. So as soon as one project ends, right, it's like, it's almost like I say it's like birthing, a child, right? Like you work <laughs> on it for a year um, and then it finally comes to fruition, right? Um, and if you're working iteratively, you can just continue to collect data over time and, and there's always the next project behind it, which is so cool. And um, I've, I've really enjoyed every phase of the project from like that brainstorming, um, you know, what will this product be and where's the need coming from to actually working with the developers and designers to come up with the exact requirement. Um, every part of that is, is an exciting part of the journey for me. And it changes so often. Um, your daily duties changes so often that it really keeps it interesting. Would you say that you find the job that you're in fulfilling? Absolutely. Um, for me, it's always been important to be able to work on something that impacts our guests, having been a guest myself. And so to be able to know that I did something that I I will, let's be honest, I'll likely never get acknowledgement for from a guest because I'm not <laughs> in their face at the park. Um, but to know that my signature is in the app because of what our teams are able to build together, I take so much pride in that. and I often say to folks, um, if you're familiar with the, the Disney story and that legacy, Walt Disney and Roy Disney were brothers. And Walt Disney was definitely that onstage cast member, right? He was the face of the company. But Roy Disney was the backbone of the company. And he, I feel like that man never gets enough credit. And our backstage cast members who make the magic um, in our apps and all across our company, um, in that way, um, they are just, they have just as big of a starring role in all of this and they power so many incredible experiences. So where I, I often get that little bit of joy is just walking around the park and 
being able to use the things that our teams have put together or just hearing the random comment from a guest saying, oh, did you see this in the app? Or I got to do this or, you know, creating a bit of uh-huh. that um, distinctly Disney magic for people. Just, oh, I love that. You know, it's not, we don't do it for the acknowledgement, but when you do get to hear that and, and they don't even know that I was a part of it. I think that's even cooler. Like I have this little secret that nobody gets to be a part of <laughs> other than me of, you know, we, we did that and um, we're, we're powering things. It looks like magic to them, right, on the surface. And it is. Um, there's also a lot of incredible people that make that a reality. I when when you say that it kind of seems almost more special to me uh, that this thing that you make is so great that it it speaks for itself. You you don't need to be like a spokesperson. You don't need to be uh, connected to it, or people don't even need to know that you made it. It's just the fact that it works. It's uh, speaking for itself. And I, I was going to ask you if you ever walked around the park to spy on users. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can imagine we do in-park testing and mm. um, things of that nature. But just being a guest myself, you just hear those things sometimes. And um, and and even, like, I, I love using my husband to help experiment because I don't tell him <laughs> anything I'm working on. Um, you know, obviously a lot of what we do is very confidential and, and so I love to get his first time reaction as a guest, like having no idea what it is we do. Um, and so that's always really special too. And to your point, I mean, it's, we always hope that it feels so seamless that you're not thinking about who built it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that way about like, uh, if, if, if you're thinking about safety while you're at a theme park, we're doing it wrong, but mm. you just feel that Disney is safe because we've, we've, we do a great job of making it so. Um, uh, but you think of our courtesy first, right? <laughs> um, you don't say, wow, I had a really safe time at Disney. <laughs> in the same <laughs> way of like, wow, those developers were really good, right? You know, it's just so ingrained in the experience that it becomes second nature. And that's when we know we're doing a good job. Yeah, I, I've been told that um, uh, sometimes recognition um, from the user uh, isn't always what you want because usually people say, "Who made this?" It's never, it's not always a, a positive thing when they're saying that. I want to hear all ranges of feedback, and yeah, you know, I think that's how we learn, and and that's a cultural thing too of like applauding us when we don't get it right and applauding us when we do and learning mm. from it. And if we are constantly iterating and moving forward with minimal viable product and what I like to call minimal lovable product, then, um, (laughs) yeah, we like to jazz it up a little bit. But, um, you know, then we should always be constantly iterating. And if we get off the mark a little bit, we can quickly adjust because Mm. we we can continue to be agile in that way. So that's where we, you know, can continue to grow and and learn is by that constant feedback. When um, you talk about your team and, and working on all these projects and uh, it seems like you work really well together. If, if there's like somebody listening, can, do you have any recommendations on like things that you, as someone who, who manages them, uh, sees are really, really great qualities that you have with the people working with you? Like, do you have any things that maybe people wouldn't know to think to do or wouldn't know to, improve on that you see people doing that you think are really great yeah 
so in ag- agile methodology, um, what we understand to be true is that people who are heard and feel seen work together better. Mm. And, and so when you're in a project team, it's important to make sure voices are heard and that, and that way we're all driving towards the same goal. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't see, you know, my tech team, they're my team, right? Yes, technically I'm product, they're tech, but if they have a good product idea, I want to hear it and I want to make sure that they feel that visibility to do that. So I think when you start a new project, that is the great time, the best time really to establish what the team agreement is going to be, how you're going to work together and how to set that like mini culture within that project. Um, and so, you know, doing icebreakers in those sorts of sessions to really get to know people are things that I really enjoy doing. Um, but also taking it outside of just that initial discussion and making sure it's a part of your culture moving forward. Um, so something that I like to do to create a collaborative environment, we do like fun scrum Fridays where, you know, I'll, I'll tell a pun, which they all either, either I think they're laughing, but they're all amused. The jury's still out <laughs> on that. Um, but also, you know, we'll just, someone will post a baby picture. We have to guess who it is, you know, things like that. Um, we'll ask people what their favorite food are while they're sharing their updates. You really get to know people in those moments. Um, We've also done a few virtual escape rooms together, which I feel has really um, created some good camaraderie. My current team, we have a group that almost every Friday gets together after work and we'll play um, uh, Jackbox games, if you're familiar with that. It's a great way to virtually get to know one another. There's, I don't think I am. What is that? It is great. It's called Jackbox <laughs> TV. Um, it has a series of several games on it. And one of my favorites is Quiplash. Definitely look it up. It's great for friends. It's great for teams. Um, and you can, you just need to go on your phone to a link and everyone can share, you know, one person can share the screen and you can all play together virtually. So that has been so awesome to have during this time. Um, because that's where I really find that that trust is built in those types of activities. Um, you know, I always try to explain why we're making a decision um, rather than just saying, this is the product decision, just do it, just deliver mm-hmm. it. Um, because they might, it helps, I think it helps, well, it does help everybody to understand what it is that we're doing, why we're doing it, what the guest perspective is around what we're doing. But also, again, I'm not perfect. They might call something out my logic or find an edge case that I completely miss. And so, and then I make sure to honor that feedback as best as we can and make sure it's heard. So setting up that, um, that space, having regular meeting cadences, again, um, following agile methodology, scrum, daily scrum is crucial to an effective and efficient team because the best communication happens when you're talking, um, and giving updates that way. And then, um, using demos and retrospectives every after every sprint to say mm. hey what did we do well what did we not do well and and encouraging people to be honest and speak up and not hold it against them if they do say like hey here's this really negative thing that happened and you know we want to encourage that to be brought up 
rather than make them feel like they have to stuff it down, if that makes sense. So um, having that regular feedback loop happen and then holding ourselves accountable to make those changes when they come up. If we're really struggling with something in the past sprint, we've got to do our due diligence to make sure we make a change for the next sprint. That's how, um, you know, we build that trust and continue to get better. The things that you're describing all, I feel like they would make anyone much more approachable in uh, being able to be vulnerable in uh, in having something that you you feel is not working, that you can actually voice it, feeling like you can be more transparent with the person that you're working with. I feel like that's just really good for even just the quality of life of the people that yeah. you're working with. Because something I want to talk to you about was um, uh, I have been talking to one of my favorite things to do in life is talk to people. <laughs> and uh, and some of the people I've been talking to um, and listening to, uh, they're getting these jobs in um, these big companies. It's, it's the job that they've always wanted. Um, they get there. and they're so unhappy like but it's, it's like everything that they wanted on all of the the checklists is checked they're in they're in the industry they have the certain role that they want they're making the amount of money that they want sometimes even more than they expected to make um c- can you talk a little bit about um i mean you kind of did but how disney is different than some of these other companies that i'm hearing that my friends are going to where um people get there it's the role that they really wanted um and they're actually happy it's not like this this uh this milestone where they cross the finish line and they're like okay i made it like the it, it seems like disney does a lot of investment in you um in making sure you're the right person um how would you describe being there as a uh uh, feeling fulfilled in your job and really enjoying it after they hire you. Sure. Um, so yes, I would agree with that, that Disney does do a lot, um, to incentivize it. And for me, it, it has always been around what I get to do for a guest. And so that is the, of utmost importance to me over anything else. Um, because I, I love our brand. I love what we do. I've been a guest. I am a guest. And, you know, I, I love to be a part of this legacy. Um, that said, um, no company is perfect, right? And, and companies are companies. And I think we often, um, cause I do this myself. Um, a really good example of this is I love to give gifts. I love giving gifts. It's something I, I don't even like getting gifts, but I love the idea of like planning a gift and thinking about how I'm going to give them this gift. And then what they're going to say when I give it to them. And I, I hype it up in my head so much about what it's going to mm. be that often once I do actually give the person the gift, it never at all lives up to, to my expectations of what I thought that experience was going to be like. And I often find myself disappointed if they don't like, you know, react in some grandiose way. And that's not to say they didn't enjoy the gift or what have you, but like that's more of an issue with me than it is the person receiving the gift. And yeah. so I think sometimes we need to evaluate where the problem is. Is the problem the job and the company itself? 
sometimes that is the case, right? I mean, you can find yourself in a culture that is not at all what you expected, does not meet your values. And that's, that's a conversation to have. Absolutely. And so to really start to know yourself and what those, those um, values are. Um, but I found also it comes down to taking that look inside yourself. Um, because I, I know there was a certain part of my life where I don't think I would have been happy doing anything. Um, mm. because I was just constantly unhappy, right? Or thinking I'll be happy when I get here, but then I want something more, something different or what have you. Um, and so I think it's important to look inside yourself and make that assessment of, did I, um, you know, set things up in my mind to set an unachievable standard for this job? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and have that, that really hard look at it and say, um, it, what can, how can I get happiness even if things aren't perfect in the job? Because we, we all have good days at our jobs. We all have bad days no matter where you work. Um, and I think it's important to take stock of those things and, you know, continue to find other things to be grateful for and things to keep you motivated. Um, and then those, those next opportunities will be right. will you'll find those, right? Um, if you continue to make those assessments, but sometimes I find it's important to heal that internal thing. And for me, that was, therapy right I mean mm. um, and again something that Disney gives us access to is is a lot of free sessions as needed to take that care um, and that has helped me to have those conversations and where I think I moved here to Florida because I was like moving to Florida will fix all my problems that's not the reality I still have problems living here yeah Right. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to just up and move because moving back home or moving wherever isn't going to fix that problem. So um, <laughs> I know that that's sort of a, a tough answer, but it it is something to really think about um, of what expectations are we setting? Are they realistic? And um, what can we do to continue to, to better our mental health and well-being in that process? I don't think I ever heard somebody uh say the exact same thing that I felt <laughs> before when it came to that. That was kind of weird, to be honest, to hear my thoughts coming from another person. <laughs> um I'm so, I'm so glad I could deliver. <laughs> I'm that, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that like even even the gift thing, I do that too. Um I struggle with that. Uh, my uh, my boyfriend's from Eastern Europe, and uh, so um, not to be stereotypical, but to him specifically, he's a little bit more stoic than I am. <laughs> and so when I try to, I like will work something up to give him a gift or do something really nice or like clean something in the house or something like that. When I tell him about it, he's just like, "Oh, nice, thanks." But to him, like that's normal. Like that's a appropriate reaction. He said, "Thank you." Uh, but to me, I'm like, why aren't you super excited? Blah, 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 blah. And it, it does have to do a lot more with me. And, and I've, I've felt the same way, like throughout college. I graduated a month ago and, uh, throughout college, I was always like, I'm going to be happy when this thing is over. I'm going to be happy when yep. this happens. And it's so hard to just like let yourself be happy now, even though not everything's in order yet. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think that's an American culture thing. I, I think there think is so? something with our culture um, 
that we are constantly looking for that next thing. And I think, honestly, I have lots of feelings about this, but that social media does this to us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, well, that person has that, so I've got to keep doing and whatever it is to get to that thing. And I'll be happy when I have that thing. Um, mm-hmm. And the reality is that the happiness comes from somewhere else. And there are people who are happy who have virtually nothing, right? Um, so it is not an easy thing, um, but it is, I think, an important thing to be considerate of, of our minds and our, of the health of our minds and then, you know, to limit what we, will, what we are comfortable subjecting ourselves to. And that's another thing I've had to do a lot of is, like, limit my social media consumption, um, hide things from my feeds that aren't going to serve me or going to make me feel the way you're describing. Um, and, and that's, that is not easy work. I think it's very easy to just sit and consume and rather than taking stock and, and, um, taking an inventory of how these behaviors are making us feel. Yeah. I, one thing that I, I noticed, uh, just in, in the last six months is, uh, um, a lot of my, uh, I'm, I'm 22 and like a lot of my friends are, are getting married right now and posting stuff online and stuff like <laughs> that. And then I started considering it. I'm like, wait, where is this coming from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I listen, I get it. I am, we're in a, uh, we're currently, uh, battling infertility and sometimes it's like, Okay, obviously I want to have a child, but having a child is not going to fix all of my problems, right? And mm-hmm. having a child just because everyone else is having a child right now isn't a reason to have a child, right? So, yeah. Um, but it, it, it is hard, right? I think we have set, set standards for ourselves as a um, community of people of what is the right time to do certain things. And the reality is not everybody is on that same path. Um, and you're not always going to be in the stage that you're in now, right? I mean, it's okay. <laughs> and I know it's hard. It's easy for me to say it's okay. Um, but it's okay if you're not okay. And it's okay if you're not in that space right now. And it's weird because um, uh, it's it's funny that every time uh, somebody asks me uh, if I could say something to myself, 10 years ago or five years ago (laughs) or even two years ago the advice isn't really specific it's just always it's gonna be okay stop worrying so much yeah yeah (laughs) and i can't tell myself that now because uh like there's always something that's happening it's always like um uh i'll be more okay once i have my llc set up i'll be more okay once i can pay for my year's rent at one time but I was listening to somebody uh, talk about, um, uh, at least from the money standpoint, um, he's, he said there is a when you do meet certain things up to a point, the, the weight does come off of your shoulders like you can feel it. But it, it doesn't take care of everything. <laughs> it really doesn't. And it's it's kind of it's just kind of. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just uh kind of just giving yourself the permission to just be content with what you have. Yeah. Not that that you can't strive for more, you can't better yourself and you can't right. go and get those things that you want. It's just do you ever feel like it's hard to just let yourself be 
happy with what you have. Yes, all the time, right? <laughs> and, and content is different than complacent. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing. We should always work harder to to be to better ourselves and have goals. And I think I bring it back to that oldest of five kids thing. I'm a type A personality, right? And so I always am like, what's the next thing? What am I going to work on next? Even as I finish, I'm currently finishing writing a book and that's going to publish in August. And I'm like, what do I do after that? Like, why don't take a nap? Like, uh, who in their right mind would think about like what's next? And and the funny thing is, I came out of like writing this book right after I graduated my MBA, and it's like, mm. well, at what point is enough enough? Um, yeah. And I, again, it is. It's a constant work for me to say I am good, not because of anything I do, but just because I'm I'm good, <laughs> right? I'm I. I'm loved. I have all these things, and it has nothing to do with the amount of things I produce, right? Um, but that is really hard. We are in a consumption um, type of society, um, and and that is a hard, that is a really hard balance to find. And I'm glad you're having these conversations early, um, you know, in your in your young adult years, because burnout is a real thing. Um, and it's good to protect yourself from that and to know, you know, what your limits are and, and, um, you know, how to protect yourself. And, and I don't, this is kind of like a very materialistic thing to think about, but, uh, as I've been, uh, thinking more about like this topic and stuff like that, it's like another reason why, uh, uh, when I was a little kid, I decided that I never wanted to get a big house, um, because, I, my, my friend had a really big house and I loved going there. It was really fun. But after going there so many times, I got so used to it that I really couldn't tell the difference between his house and mine. Uh, and mine was like average size. His was ginormous. Uh, and you, you, I got so used to it and I, I knew what was in every single room of the house. And I was like, like, what's the difference? <laughs> After a certain point, do, right. do you do you understand where I'm coming from with that? Yeah. It's kind of a weird analogy. <laughs> no, and I think it. I mean, I I think about that too. Of like, oh, I work here now. Do I still love it? Do I still love this brand? Um, and I think that is, it's easy to get jaded, right? And that's why I think it's important to like. For me, I have to continue to infuse myself into the parks and into our experiences to keep that pixie dust alive for myself as well. Um, you know, that's something I recognize about myself and to, to remember where I came from, right? In this case, I came from being a guest, mm-hmm. not someone who works from home in, in an office with my cat, my cat, and my two dogs, you know? <laughs> um, and I think that, that is where that, those empathy exercises come in. The more we have conversations with people who are not from our same backgrounds, um, the more you're able to say, huh, like, that's different. It's not wrong, but it's different. Um, and how do I make sure that those perspectives are representative? And, and how do I, you know, um, be more thoughtful of the things that I have when in conversation with folks who have different things or have less than or what have you? Um, because it is really easy to get caught up and think, well, I don't have enough. And this 
a really segues into something. So you and I uh, uh, planned this podcast. Um, I think we planned it like two months ago or a month ago. And so I've had a lot of time to like think about you and, and your book and everything that you've um, talked about. And us talking about this right now, um, uh, it, it makes me think about um, perspective um, and, and using that word over another one. So, um, where I'm coming from is like, you, you go to a, a big company and, and you work there. I'm saying you isn't anybody. Um, and you have to really refresh yourself every time of keeping that spark alive and, uh, uh, keeping perspective and, uh, not, just getting adjusted to this new thing because it's so easy for people to just adjust to a new situation and feel the same that they did in their previous situation. Um, and something that happens a lot for me when it comes to perspective is um, uh, I will uh, think that I have a rough life or something like that, or I think that that something is um, going, uh, or I'm, I'm having a rough time. And I, I heard a quote from somebody, uh, that said, uh, the worst thing that ever happened to you is the worst thing that ever happened to you. Like you might be having an, uh, like somebody that you see might be having an emotional breakdown over something that you think is like not a big deal at all. But if that's the worst thing that has ever happened to them, then like, that's how they're going to react. They don't know any other way right. to, to react to that. Um, and so I started looking at the word perspective, um, not in like belittling something that you're feeling or something like that, but just really understanding like the scope of what you just don't know. And because you haven't experienced it, yep. it's, it's really hard to understand it, but you can, you can at least try. Yeah. So, what do you think about that before we start talking about your book? Yeah, I think this is a great segue um, because you're, it's, everything you're saying is totally valid, right? We have to continue to honor where we're at um, and how we're processing things. Um, but something that's been so essential for me has been to practice gratitude as much as possible because what I found is that, and there's science to back this up, and I won't share exact numbers or quotes because I'll get them wrong, but, um, <laughs> you know, that that our minds are a powerful thing. And if we just let it run amok, you know, it's not going to serve us. And so, um, yes, I acknowledge and I make space as much as possible for the pain that I'm going through, but that I also try to focus on the things that I do have. Um, and that's only in the recent months that I feel like I've been able to focus more on those items because I was just so consumed by what I felt I was missing. Um, and that was where I, felt my husband and I so were so severely different in this way because um he lived through a horrible tragedy at the age of 13 losing his dad um mm -hmm. and I very fortunately did not have a similar experience in my childhood right and nobody wishes that on me and no I you know um but my husband's able to bring a unique perspective to life and our challenges in the current day and age that I just can't without having lived through that, right? My Our infertility is my biggest challenge that I've ever had in my life. It's not John, and and, and that my, that's my husband. And, and that's not to say that it isn't a big challenge for him, but he, he already climbed 
a mountain, a similar mountain. And he knows that there's another side. And so I think that's what's taken me the most convincing is like, we're going to get through this. And he knows that because he, he's done it before. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, re- I remember having arguments and I'll talk to you a little bit more about this uh, later, but like, I remember having arguments with like a friend and I was like curled up in my bed crying and someone who I was close with who went through a totally different life they were kind of like what's like we weren't able to understand each other at all because i was saying this happened like this is and obviously i was a high a college girl like that was it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me at that time and it, it was hard to connect on that level but and that's my thing which is totally different but uh i think that your book was was really interesting. Uh, it hasn't been published yet, so I haven't read it. But I I got as much information as I could um, on all the different podcasts that you were on, and I listened to them. And can can you talk a little bit about it um, uh, for people that don't know? Absolutely. Um, so I've 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 teased a little bit so far, um, <laughs> but um, my husband lost his father in um during 9-11 his dad was the property manager of two world trade um one of the two twin towers in new york city um he was there that day he called home uh a recording that that the family still has to to this day and it was 2001 so you can imagine it's like on a cassette <laughs> so yeah. very different than this day and age um but he did call home he said i'm i'm okay i'm out of the building I'll, um it's bad but i'll i'll call you as soon as i can and i love you um and unfortunately he never called because he he went back to the building and um after several conversations with others who were there that day um he he did save other people's lives cuz he helped get people out of the building um and he he was honored with a um a Medal of Valor uh, at the White House five years, or no, sorry, four years after 9-11, I believe, um, which is all great and good and all, but um, it's still obviously painful for my husband not to have his dad and his four other siblings to not have their dad. And, um, you know, it, it's a tragedy for those of us who were alive, which at 22, I actually, you were only two, right? So yeah. Um, <laughs> your world was shaped by something that you don't even remember. I mean, there's so many policies and things in place now that didn't exist prior to 9-11. Um, and, and when I think that's the thing, like when you narrow down the, the enormity of 3000 lives lost that day down to one life, um, and that one life, um, being my father-in-law, it becomes very personal. And, um, you know, it, it's been a, it's, challenging thing for my husband to continue walk through even 20 years later now um but as we've been going through for the past year i mean 2020 brought all kinds of unique challenges for everybody with the pandemic um but then add on to that you know anything you did experience that was painful within that time i think was exacerbated by the fact that you were isolated and alone um and so we were in the midst of battling infertility and continued to be doing so um and i just was not doing well. Um, I was not handling it well. And so 
I noticed this perspective in my husband. And at first I wanted to punch him. I was like, why are you saying that? Like, we're going to get through this. Like, just be mad with me. <laughs> I was like really mm, yeah. mad at the time. And, and then I was like, all right, maybe there's something to learn here about what he's, he's saying and about what his perspective is um, and his resilience through this. And I woke up I'm up one night at like three in the morning. I'm like, I think I need to write a book about 9-11. Is that okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, and then he rolled back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like thinking, but no, I need to write it. And then I'm like writing it in my head as <laughs> like three in the morning as one does. But, um, but then I looked in later and I got permission from his family to start to interview um, children like them who lost a parent in 9-11. I wanted to go through and um, take account of what they remember from that day, uh, as well as the years to follow and sort of where they where they are now and uh, what their hopes and dreams are for the future and, and garner all of those things. And really, it was for me, for me to learn how do people who went through what is one of our greatest, our nation's greatest tra- tragedies, pick up the pieces and move forward. Um, and... I mean, many of them are very successful people right now. I mean, some some are like WWE wrestlers. I mean, Pete Davidson <laughs> is a really famous example that I didn't even know that he lost his father in 9-11 until um, I started doing this research. And they, while they had extraordinary circumstances, they are ordinary people. Um, mm-hmm. And we all have our own challenges and we can apply these same lessons to them. So again, what started as like a discovery project for myself, I was like, wait a minute, there's something else here that could help other people like me who are in the middle of their journey to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And here are a dozen people who are a, were part of this massive tragedy that can attest to that. Um, and again, some of them are WWE wrestlers or comedians on SNL. Some of them are your teachers and your performers down Main Street, right? Um, but they're all making an incredible impact. And if we look at success of leading a, a healthy, full life, um, then they're meeting those criteria. So I've learned so much. I, I've, like I said, I've been able to interview a dozen or so folks um, who were, who were lost a parent that day. And um, it's been incredibly painful at times to have those interviews. And I know that when you do have the opportunity to read these stories, it, it will move you. Um, as well, but I hope in in a way that helps to create that empathy that you're talking about. Of you know, um, we don't always know. Not everybody is going to have a book written about their tragedy, um, but we can assume that most everyone is living through something or um, has. And so it's getting to know that person, what happened to them, and that what informs their decisions, and you know, can help us create a more empathetic world. One thing I I really wanted to ask you, um, which may not be something that other people have asked you about the book, is um, how are you emotionally available enough to hear so many of those stories? Because when when I hear stories from people um, that I love or I'm close with... um, I will hold on to them for some reason. And uh 
And I've stopped using the word uh, rough, like that's rough to hear, because I don't want people to think that they're inconveniencing me by telling me something that happened to them. And I started using the word heavy, and I feel like that's more what I'm trying to say. Um, how did you do that? Because that's not an easy thing to do to talk to all of these people and, and take on uh, these stories. Yeah. Um, it wasn't easy. <laughs> I I think what was doubly challenging is that I could hear the pain or the sadness or the joy or whatever it is that that person was experiencing in the interview. Um, but also I could relate it to my husband's experiences. Mm. And it hurt me so badly to know that this person went through this, but also that my husband, who I love so much, had a similar experience. Um, and, and there's so many times I had to stop myself and be like, this is an interview, not your chance to jump in and be like, my husband too, he had that, right? But mm, that's how yeah. we communicate sometimes is like, me too, me too, and, and, and that type of connector language. Um, and it is really, it's so hard. And I'm not someone who does a good job of like turning off that part of my brain when having these discussions. And so I, when I went into the discussion, I said to all of them, like, listen, we signed up for a painful conversation here today. If we need to stop, we can. Mm -hmm. If we need to take a break, we can. If we need to not talk about that question, we can. And so I think setting those ground rules for both of us in that interview room really helped to set that tone and help them know that I'm, I'm in it with them. Um, you know, 9-11, it's not the same, certainly not the same for me, but it does impact my my life on a on a daily basis being a wife of someone who lost their parent in that um, tragedy and so uh, it was extremely challenging and I think I had a really tough time rationalizing it I was like am I putting people through more pain and I putting myself through more pain by doing this project than I am going to do good mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I had a conversation with um, her name is Kay Thomas and she is uh, she works at North County Lifeline in um, She's a counselor there in California, and they help to support folks who go through, like, uh, human sex trafficking and things of the like, uh, which is, comp like, extremely traumatic. And I asked her about this. I was like, first of all, I, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I can never be a therapist because I would just be crying with them <laughs> in every session, right? I, I would yeah. have a hard time separating that part of my brain. But um, she said for folks who have been through trauma, um, oftentimes they feel, they do feel better when they are given the opportunity to share their story. If they are able to find purpose in the pain it takes to go through sharing that story. Mm. And while that's not the case for everybody, um, and everyone has different ways that they feel about that and different comfort levels, that is how I tried to go into every interview is that these folks have come to me because they saw the purpose in this. Um, if they're uncomfortable, we can stop at any time. And also that I came into this with a purpose, that we're going to do something good here, that something good will come from something really horrible. Um, and I think that's what helped me to get through those conversations. And then, you know, having to take a break after when I was done, like sitting in a dark room on the floor and, um, uh, <laughs> yoga positions just to try to um, decompress in those conversations 
and be thoughtful about what I did next because uh, it was a lot to take on. I think now as I've edited and proofread the book so many times, um, I have to be careful. I don't want it to become so separated from myself because I've, I've read the words so many times, right? Mm, it's just yeah. like anything you could like be on autopilot. I still want to, I do want to feel those experiences. I don't want to forget how this felt because I think that's what really connected us all and is what's so powerful about their stories. Did you have a fear of being insincere? Absolutely. And in fact, my mother-in-law, she is amazing. Um, I, I checked in with her often to make sure that I wasn't putting my foot in my mouth. Mm. Um, and I did a lot of work to make sure I was honoring these folks. And I'm, I know I'm not always going to get it right. And that is so scary because it's not like a blog post, right? It's a book. It's in print. Like it's not as mm. easy to change it. Um, but by giving everybody an opportunity to review everything I wrote about them, by having conversations when something needed to be changed, by having my mother-in-law be so central to this book's development, you know, there were things that I missed. And I always came to folks and said, listen, I'm not going to get it perfect. Let's work together. Please fill in the gaps where I cannot. Um, and I feel that everybody, for the most part, appreciated me coming forward and saying that um, because we we have we have to have empathy on the other side, right? That I don't know, I don't know everything. I don't want to make assumptions, and I don't want to paint anyone in a a negative light. Um, but that could just happen because I I am imperfect and human and learning, just like everyone else. So that was a really scary thing, and I think just being vulnerable that hey, I don't know, and I could get this wrong. Please help me get it right. Uh, made it much more of a collaboration. This is something that I, I haven't told you because I felt kind of awkward about it. Um, but, uh, and I'm not going to say any names because I don't, I just don't want to say them. Uh, those two, um, uh, students that were in my year that were very close with, um, your husband and were in his plays, um, I actually, uh, went with them to New York to do some sightseeing and one of the places that we went to was the 9-11 memorial and i was walking around with them um and we were actually looking for your your husband's name your husband's father's name um and it kind of it felt very awkward to me um because i felt like this was something that was so important and so close and i didn't know this man and I just felt so awkward because I was so insincere like it, it felt insincere like I was just there because my friends were there um uh so that's why I asked you if you ever felt like you were feeling uh you had a fear of feeling insincere and, and I just wanted to tell you that because it was kind of like an awkward thing that I just had in the back of my mind uh and um uh yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about that. I just wanted to to let you know. Um, and it was very strange because um, I I knew this about uh John uh 
at that time, uh, he was Mr. Lynch. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's how I, I thought of him. I don't think I even knew his name. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, that's, uh, just something I, 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 uh, I, I felt really awkward about. And I didn't know if that's how you felt sometimes when you were talking to these people that you literally just met and you're like, how are you? feeling about your parent who i've never met i just met you like did that ever felt really awkward and and how did you navigate that you know i think um well thank you for sharing that and i hope that you found the memorial to be very beautiful um because it is it is a beautiful memorial um it is hard that a place that is meant for folks to learn is also a a burial place um, for people, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that is a hard balance for family members too. But to acknowledge, you know, people are here to learn, um, and I think what really helped the drive these conversations forward without that awkwardness is the the shared common experience you have being human and being able to, for me to be able to say, hey, my husband lost his dad just like you. Um, and you might not share all the same experiences, but we share a bond there. Um, you know, I think there is something to be said in talking with people who get what you're going through. I felt that with infertility. I have incredible friends um, and family members who care about me and are doing everything they can to help me through this, but they, it is hard for them to understand it if they mm-hmm. haven't lived it themselves. And so I've often found great community with folks who do get it, um, who have lived it or who can share experiences or just be angry with me when I'm <laughs> like at with them, you know? And, and so I think coming in with that common bond, um, but, and speaking with many of them too, you know, they have friends that haven't lost their parents in 9-11, and yet they're able to, they've all been through something. And so mm-hmm. sometimes just finding that, like, hey, we've all, we all were junk, you know, and starting there, um, I think creates a much more authentic conversation and a much more comfortable conversation of, hey, we're here to learn from each other and comfort one another. And so I really try to keep the interviews informal and as conversational as possible so that it didn't feel like I was some news reporter coming mm, to explain yeah. the story. Um, because that is something I'm sensitive to. I, I know um, my husband has and his family have experienced that in the past, of folks trying to exploit their stories for, for you know, I don't know, some crazy gain, or I, I don't know what it, what for, but, you know, yeah. um, being very mindful and thoughtful of that, and, and being transparent, too, and saying, and, and sharing all these things with them of like, listen, I'm not here to exploit. I, I really want to help. Um, I really mm-hmm. want to help. And, and usually they are able to meet you there, um, in that space. Um, I kind of want to talk to you about love for a little bit. Um, uh, so when I was, uh, uh, learning about you and, and, uh, I, I, looked at your uh instagram that you and john have and i i saw i've seen the like the progression of your relationship over a while i I remember watching live when 
when he proposed to you at the Freddy's. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I saw your YouTube video where you had your, your wedding vows. Um, uh, I think that you might be a good person to ask for advice <laughs> because, um, I, I'm kind of going through something right now and I might get emotional about it, but it's fine. Um, uh, uh, my, uh, I, as I said, my, my boyfriend's from, uh, Eastern Europe, um, and, uh, he's from, uh, Serbia specifically. And so, uh, a lot of the stuff that he tells me is really rough. Um, and it's, it's at a level that I'll never be able to understand. And, uh, since I became close with him, I started becoming it just kind of happened. I, I became friends with, um, one of my best friends from Ukraine. Uh, she's from Kiev. Um, and, uh, the stories that you hear are really, really rough. Like just one example is, uh, uh, I remember that, uh, you said that John opened up to you, um, kind of like in an intimate way on a date, uh, when he told you, uh, that his, his, uh, uh, father died on 9-11 when you were out at Bonefish, which is a restaurant that I remember sitting in with my mom. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, so I could picture it. Um, and I remember the, um, the first night I, uh, uh, spent over at his dorm, uh, we were talking about, um, uh, first memories. Um, and I said, my first memory, um, and I hope I don't get this wrong because he hates if I misquote him. Um, uh, my first memory was, uh, uh, my sister being born. And I had this, uh, I think it was like a ring pop or, or a plastic ring. And I tried to give it to her and my mother said, Oh, don't do that. She might choke on it. Like, that's my first memory. And, um, his first memory, uh, was sitting in a bunker as his country was being bombed. And you have no idea how to relate and, and, and no pity is wanted. Like, like he's moved on past it. And I keep on hearing stories like this, like, oh yeah, like four years before I, um, uh, I was born, like my, my country fell apart. It went from Yugoslavia to Serbia. Like mm-hmm. all of these things happen. Like, uh, Ex- extreme difficulty in terms of the country's economy and and the death of family members and and I I don't want to go into too deep because I don't know if this family would feel comfortable with that but um it's it's really hard to like it's not like I'm trying to relate and if I feel like I don't relate like I feel like you're inconveniencing me of telling me these stories it's like it's more you you really don't know what to do and you love this person so much and you wish that you could like take it away from them or something but yeah yeah and i i want you to know um that you have the space with me to be um emotional about this because um you have to feel what you're feeling about it and i think what i have struggled with and I talk about this in the book, is that I'm the wife of a 9-11 surviving child. How am I allowed any space to be upset about this? 
when it's so much worse for my husband. But that type of thinking is so counterproductive to our growth, to our health, um, that I, one thing that I, uh, someone I actually mentioned in the book, um, her name is Stacy. She's a, um, licensed mental health, uh, counselor from the Parkland, Florida area. She mentions wearing a hair tie and snapping your wrist when you have thoughts like that. Mm. Um, and I've had to implement that because I am a spiraling thought thinker and I, I don't want to project any of this onto you, but I'm seeing similarities here, um, in myself. And so, um, that's something that has worked for me to sort of stop, um, and say, no, my feelings are completely a hundred percent valid and your feelings on this are completely a hundred percent valid. And you have to feel that in order to process it and, and make room for it. Um, and I, I went through that. I, I go through it all the time. I wish so much I could just take this pain away from him. I wish so much that I could just, you know, magically wish back his dad. Um, and it hurts that that is not the reality we live in. And there is something that comes with the acceptance of that. Um, and I think recognizing that the best way you can be there for a person is to ask them how you can be there them for them right now. Um, and that's different for everybody, right? I am someone who sometimes I just need to complain and cry and I just need someone to lay with me and, you know, pet my head and, and, and comfort me and tell me it sucks. You know, I, um, I don't always need someone to fix it. I'll tell you if I want you to fix it. Um, <laughs> and, and that has, that is hard, especially I think in a new relationship to find and start to understand each other's love languages and, and, and be open to saying, that's so hard. How can I help right now? Um, and honestly, that's taken a lot of therapy for me to even come to you and give that, um, what's worked for us. And we're still learning, right? Every day is not perfect. Um, we'll be married six years tomorrow. July 20th. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and this has been the biggest strain of our marriage. Um, mm. and, and I'm not going to lie. It's not been easy. It's not sunshine rainbows all the time. Um, and I think that's what we've tried to be more honest about on social media so that people can see, you know, we're doing this together. We are way stronger together than we are apart, but it's not always easy. Um, and, so I encourage you to, to have a conversation or I, I'm also someone, I love a good, um, personality quiz, like, and like the, um, Myers-Briggs or like, yeah. <laughs> to like start to, or like the love language quiz. Like I love those to start to learn more about who your partner is. Um, because how I want to be treated might not be the same as how they want to be treated because of their circumstances, their background, their culture being different than yours. Um, mm-hmm. And that's important in love, in life, in, in work, right? I mean, I work with people from all over the world. They don't all want, they're not all extroverts like me, right? <laughs> I have to respect yeah. that and make room for them too. And, um, and that really takes, again, getting to know wh- what their styles are. So, um, and I'm so sorry that you're, you're, um, experiencing that and that those are his experiences. And I, 
you know, I see you and I, I care and, um, it, it just sucks sometimes, to be honest. It just sometimes it's acknowledging that it sucks and, you know, finding the way to keep moving forward. Um, I had, I had a little bit of time to think before, um, talking to you today and, uh, I, I was trying to figure out how to connect the two, um, uh, like what I was going through and what you wrote your book about. And, um, for, for some reason, like a week ago, um, uh, this podcast that I listened to released their 200th episode and it was, um, uh, two, uh, guys, uh, Lex Friedman and Michael Malice, who, um, are both, uh, Russian Jewish people, um, that were talking about, um, just history and their lives and, and all of these things. And, uh, uh, Lex, um, uh, who's, I believe is Russian and Ukrainian, um, brought up this, this Russian song, um, that I called my Ukrainian friend and I gave her the song. I was trying to figure out what it meant and everything like that. Um, and he said that um uh the the song is something he heard growing up um and that it was like really haunting to him um the song it was called um song of victory june 22nd exactly at four o'clock um and the the song goes that um and i'm not gonna read it off but the the summary of the song uh, is describing how everything in Kiev that day was normal. Everybody was going about their lives. Nobody was expecting anything. Um, and this was in, uh, I think it was in the 1940s. Um, and they didn't think that they were going to be in the war. And then exactly at four o'clock, um, the bombs started dropping. And, um, in, in less than a couple hours, they were in the war and everything began. And, um, it talked, the rest of the story is talking about, I believe, a wife, uh, saying goodbye to her husband as he left and hopefully would come back at the end of the war. Um, and he said that the reason why it was so haunting to him is the fact that you could just be having like a normal day and not expect anything. And all of a sudden your life changes forever and it's yeah. irreversible. And he actually said the only other event he compared that to was saying, he said, maybe you went through something like nine eleven, where your life is different forever and there's no going back to it. Um, that's really scary to me because, uh, I remember, um, just, just the fact that that could happen at any point and with all of the school shootings and stuff like that, um, and car accidents and things like that, that, that happen. How, how do you deal with, like, the uncertainty of life and things like that? Because those people in, in Kiev, they were having a normal day. They thought they were going to live for the rest of their lives fine or at least better than in nazi occupied parts of europe and then they were told like sorry if they come here you're gonna die 
Like, I don't know what to tell right. you. Like, how, how do you, how do you deal with that if you think about that at all? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a great correlation because for 9-11, or for, yeah, for 9-11 was a seemingly normal Tuesday for many, many people and until it wasn't, right? And, um, I think what I have recognized in the, in the folks I've spoken to is that there is a, a heightened sense of their mortality that they have because they lost something like this so rapidly and really without a lot of closure. I mean, my husband's family, there's no, there is no body to recover, um, which is the mm-hmm. case for many families. Um, and, and that's traumatizing. And you watch, you watched on TV, right? My husband watched on TV, um, the buildings his dad worked into, worked at, um, have planes hit into them and then collapse. I mean, how do you ever move on from that? And I, I don't think you ever move on. Um, and I, I think that it always continues to be a part of your DNA. And I think it would be really easy for us to live in constant fear. Um, and never go outside ever again, right? Because there's so many things that have, could happen to us. And I think our generation is uniquely impacted that we've had so many things back to back. It was like mm-hmm. 9-11, school shootings, you know, Hurricane Katrina, like <laughs> uh COVID, like all of these things our generation is literally like has been encompassed around and and frankly, I think exposed to because of our access to media. Um, in, in the way that, um, we have access to it in the, in the palm of our hands, really. Um, that it's hard to forget what's sort of going on at all times. Um, and I, some might call this a naive approach is just forget it all. But the biggest thing for me has again come down to managing and limiting the amount of time I spend on social media. Um, and exposing myself to that type of content because that's when I feel that anxiety continue to bubble up. And instead I try to use those platforms and the time I do spend on it to make positive change. And I think that's where we have an opportunity. Um, because the more we just keep scrolling and consuming this information, the more anxious we feel, um, and again, it's taking that moment and saying, what am I okay with exposing myself to? And what, what should I be guarding my heart against? And then how can I help make the world a better place? And, um, that again takes a lot of soul searching on your own and, um, and leading with gratitude. And I, I was the first person to roll my eyes at, People are like practice an attitude of gratitude, but I'm telling you, the more time I've spent writing down things that I am grateful for, um, the better I have felt. Um, because when you set your brain on that cycle, um, and you set a habit, right? I think it takes 21 days to set a habit of thinking in that way. Um, we can help impact what's going on in our minds because we, Lord knows we can't impact what's going on around us, right? We're not going to change any of that. Um, but we do have the opportunities to take, to do our best to not take for granted, um, the opportunities we have in the present. Um, 
And I know it's super cliche, like the present's a gift, all that, but it's so true, right? And all we really have is right this minute right now. Um, anything else is not promised. And so we've got to do all we can to be um, as impactful with the time that we're given. When I'm the kind of person, um, and when I hear you saying that, uh, I'm definitely trying to figure all that out. Um, I, I'm the kind of person that if I, if I go to bed, um, and I turn next to me, uh, I, and I'm like, I hope he's alive tomorrow. Like, I don't know why I think that when I go to bed, but, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a weird thing. Yeah. Um, but then there's the other things of like, um, uh, always saying I love you to your family members before yep. they get in the car. Um, I tried to explain that to some other people that I don't know if they were from different cultures or just didn't get that, but like you do that every single time. Like even if you're fighting with them, like you always say I love you before somebody drives away because mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to happen to them. Um, and, uh, there was something else that those two, uh, uh, Michael and Alex and, and Lex, uh, talked about on the podcast. They talked about kind of like i don't want to call it gloom and doom but like just the just the uh real realism of life um yep. uh in that you never know what's going to happen and sometimes really really horrible things happen um and it might happen in history but then you you meet like your grandparent and they tell you a firsthand recollection of it and it's so rough but mm-hmm. he will he said that um uh when when you think of like the word innocence um uh and and you think of um uh just really looking at the goodness in life and in people um people sometimes think of the word innocence and they're like oh that's like a child that um uh hasn't seen the the cruelty of the world and how things are in the real world and as soon as they're uh, they're exposed to that. They'll be more cynical like the rest of us. Um, and, and he talked about how he really looks for the, the joy yeah. and, and the beauty in every moment because he thought that it's kind of pointless to live the other way. Yeah. Like you might be, yeah, you, you might be cynical and, uh, and really upset and, and maybe you're right, but like, what does that change? You know, what does, what are you doing with your time? <laughs> right. And, and, and that is a hard thing because I, I think it's very easy to say choose joy. And I do believe we have a lot of power over that, right? If we're able to get control of our minds and look for the positive things. But at the end of the day, you know, mental illness is a very real thing. I haven't, I have suffered from anxiety. I'm diagnosed, you know, with mm-hmm. it. Um, and so it's not always that easy, right? I would always be like, don't you think I would just be happy if I could? Um, mm. And and I think, but what I found for myself personally is I was so busy wallowing instead of getting up and saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and focusing so much on what I don't have instead of focusing on what I do and what, what is, is available to me. That mindset shift is all the difference. And here's the thing. My circumstances didn't change. I'm mm. not pregnant still. 
Um, you know, I have to go through, in fact, probably more treatments than I ever imagined, but I feel more of myself than I felt in a long time because really? again, I took that time. I'm not perfect. I'm telling you, I'm not. Um, and there are days where they are really hard, but I think also just acknowledging like I have, I am going to have tough days and that is okay. And I know I work for Disney and everyone expects me to be happy and go like, you know, all the time, but that's not the reality. And the more I've opened up about them and been honest about that, the more I've heard from people who have also are going through hard times and have shared with me. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing about it. Nobody wants to have to go through these things. Trust me. I would rather have a child than have the stories that I have to tell. But I mm. do think there is something so powerful in the way that we are able to create change and help people when we do go through tough times. Because the reality is, is tough times aren't going to stop happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether we think positively or negatively. But we can impact change. I think of, um, again, Stacey Boyer, I mentioned, counselor in Parkland, Florida. She worked with many of the students who were involved in the mass shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School um, in Parkland, Florida. And they, many of them went on to start the March for Our Lives organization after that. They mm -hmm. have created incredible change and have inspired so many through their challenges. Um, and they would never ask for their challenge back, you know, for this. But I think what we are able to do with it is what matters more. Um, and so, yeah, you can, we can acknowledge that they think stuff, but if we get stuck in them and we don't ever try to impact change or, um, you know, work on our mindsets, what's the difference, right? Cause I could mm -hmm. be blissfully happy, happy and have something traumatic happen to me tomorrow. Or I could be angry with the time I have and have something tragically happen. It doesn't change it other than how I was able to, my, how my mental health was in the days leading up to that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. This was, this was such a special conversation for me. I hope you know that. Even though we didn't really know each other beforehand. <laughs> It, it, it really meant a lot to me. And I think this is a, a really beautiful note to end on. What do you think? I agree. And like, I, I, I'm so grateful for these conversations. I'm so grateful that you're getting this opportunity, um, to learn about yourself and learn about other people while learning about yourself. Um, this is a, this is, I'm sure something that started as a passion project for yourself that's going to help many people. So, um, you know, I can't wait to keep in touch and, and see where all your journey leads you to. Thank you. <laughs> and if uh, if you're listening, and um, uh, I always like to end with, uh, if people listen to the end and really want to hear about you um, and want to reach out to you and want to hear about your book, uh, or they, they hear about me and maybe uh, want to either talk on the podcast or work on a project uh this is the part where we talk about how people can reach out to us so i'll i'll start and then we'll finish up with you and i want you to talk about um your book and how people can learn more about that so does Excellent. that sound good yeah i love it awesome okay so um so hi 
uh, if you know me or not, uh, my name is Emily Giordano. I am a uh, web designer and web developer, and I use Webflow to make my sites. Um, oh, this was a, a emotional conversation, but I uh, I I love what I do. Um, I'm so incredibly uh, um, thankful that I, I chose this career. Um, if you want to reach out to me about a project or you want to talk on the podcast, you can find me at uh, Emily E M I L Y at GreatDesignLead.com. Um, that's my email, or you can find my company website, which is greatdesignlead.com. And so now we can, uh, finish up, uh, with Peyton and, uh, take it away. That's excellent, Emily. And I think you've earned yourself a good cry or a nap or whatever it is that <laughs> fills you up after this call. Um, but again, uh, it was really my pleasure to be here today. If you are interested in learning more about my story and my husband's story, uh, as well as the book Rise from the Ashes, you can find me on Instagram at Peyton Meets World. Um, and then uh, you can also visit my website, which is PeytonMeetsWorld.Wixsite.com slash Rise from the Ashes. So uh, the book is scheduled to be published and available on Amazon and other retailers starting on August 30th. Um, we've already got some early praise coming back, and I'm just really excited to share this story with the world. So thank you for being a part of this journey. Absolutely. Well, I guess this is until next time. Exactly. It's never goodbye. It's always see you real soon. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, until next time. <laughs> Have a good night. Thank you.